Hello and welcome to Mammon, the podcast where we discuss our top five of a certain topic. You join us here on episode 10. Yes, episode 10. You've already heard over 90 of our choices so far. And this week we're about to discuss our top five books. So Mike, how did you find choosing this topic? Um, yeah, I've already spoken about it before, but I'm a massive fantasy fan. That's my, like my go-to genre, I'd say. Um, but I purposely said I'm just going to choose one because I'm hoping one day we'll be able to do a top five fantasy. Um, so yeah, so I thought I'd struggle because of that, you know, because were, I was trying to pick, I tried to pick different sort of genres as a result, but uh, I actually find it surprisingly easy. Yeah, well, but the, I'm pretty sure we've mentioned it on the podcast mm. before, but you're an English teacher yeah. and you're obviously big into your books. Mm-hmm. But obviously being an English teacher, everyone expects you to know every single book in the world, don't they? Yeah. So we're, we're, we've all got high hopes for you here. <laughs> <laughs> I always love it. Whenever like there's a pub quiz or anything and Lauren's there, or say say um her parents, her parents are quite noticeable for doing this or writing questions saying, this one's for you, Lauren. Um, <laughs> and they'll say about a random book no one's ever heard of. She's like... I don't know every single book in the world. <laughs> but do you know what, as well? There's, they're always disappointed. Even when you say that, because I've, I've had the exact same thing, pub quizzes, you know, said the exact same defences, Lawrence, which is completely true and, and you know, mm. accurate. But then they still go, hmm. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. believe you. Should have known that one, really. So next time I speak to someone who works at Royce, and ask them like an obscure engineering fact and, uh, from, like, a, a plane that was built in the 40s and go, <laughs> yourself an engineer <laughs> it always panics me like whenever science questions come up because i'm so sort of niche into the science realm sort of thing in terms of hematology mm-hmm. that but people always expect me to know everything about science it's not how it works unfortunately well let's do it let's put it on you so quick blood question because you're the blood guy um what blood type am i a pause I want to see, do you know what I'm going to do, actually? This is going to be on the, I'm going to make a note for this. I'm going to find random people's blood types that we both know and then just test you on if you if you can guess based on them, see if you can get any right. Well, you clearly know nothing about my job, do you? Or blood. <laughs> no, you don't know how it works. I know, but that's why I like it. <laughs> Be be pos people. They they're slightly purple in colour, aren't they? <laughs> well, that's what you, mean, you know, like you know, like someone does something like <laughs> classico negative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, I struggled with this topic because I'm not a big book reader. I'm very very slow at reading, so I don't actually read that much. Um, I know. So when I was younger, I used to read loads. I remember my parents always used to have to come in like to my room and take the book off me because I'd fallen asleep reading it. Um. And I remember, like, for example, Harry Potter, I, when the final book came out, I was on holiday, and I stayed up late reading the final book, like, just, just to finish it off. But for some reason, I don't know, I, part of me thinks uni is to blame, in which uni came along, and reading sort of didn't become fun anymore, it became sort of to learn. Mm. And I think that's where, unfortunately, I've gone away from it a bit. So I've picked ones in which I've, some of them read from my youth, yeah. hopefully going to try and remember as much as I can. Or ones that I've read incredibly recently, but considering I've only read two books within the space of about three years, it's not very many. But (laughs) hopefully we've got, between us, we've got a range of topics. And as a Mammon exclusive, is it an exclusive? Is that the right word? Well, if it's the first time that that anyone's going to hear this information. We've actually um, got a uh, guest uh, list today. So... One of my cousins has sent me her list of top five books, and we're going to discuss them as well. 
Um, if anyone likes any of the books that she chooses, um, she's got an Instagram page which she, where she reviews books, and it's book underscore reviewer underscore brewer. Brewer? So, brewer. Is that like um, a surname, or is that like, as in like... Yeah, a... that, that's her surname. Oh, spell it for um, me. B-R-E-W-E-R. Um, we'll, we'll obviously include a link on um, our, on the podcast episode, and we'll Instagram out, of, and Facebook, and tweet out. Um, a link to so you can all follow her if you're interested. What's her first yeah, name so again? That, well, my cousin's yeah. Sally. 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 So thanks again, Sally, for sending in your uh, recommendation. Like I say, yeah, it's the first, isn't it, we've had where the guests have been able to preemptively give us a top five so we can talk about it live on air rather yeah. than getting them after. So we'll have to try and do that next time. Perhaps tweet at... Maybe we'll try and do... For this week, should we after recording these, should we do a, a tweet of what's going to come next? That can be exclusive on Twitter of what our next show that we'll record yeah and if someone lets us know or maybe we'll do the first person to let us know what their top five is no i'm going on on quality here if you're second don't worry if you're better than the first person (laughs) you're in sorry first guy (laughs) but we'll say email us your list so don't um put it in the comments email the list we'll we'll put all the details on twitter facebook and instagram when it comes to it you're so much nicer i'd be like fight over whose we should put on i know (laughs) But yeah, if they emailed us the list, then we won't. It won't spoil what people's lists are. True. By reading the, by reading the comments, so we'll give all the information out in a couple of days' time when we have this episode go live. But yeah, I think hopefully it'll be a new way of doing things and including a lot more variation in the list that we choose. Because understandably, a bit of a criticism we had is everything's a bit boy orientated with us. That's because we are guys, obviously. So it could be quite good to see other people's ideas based on that. Right. Should we crack on with it then? Yeah, let's do it. Or is there anything you want to talk about? Um, no, the only thing I would say is I think, you know, like, talk, I think talk about books and being an English teacher, I think sometimes people don't like sharing their their favourites with me, you know, and they're not an English teacher or didn't, you know, study English at university. I, think, I don't know, I think they feel like I'm going to be pretentious and judge them. Um, like I say, I, you know, I read my favourite genre, although I'm fairly well read, I'd... Um, yeah, my favourite genre is fantasy. I'm a big believer. If you enjoy it, it doesn't matter. The, the quality doesn't matter. And uh, no. I think sometimes books can be too pretentious and like be too focused on on trying to sound clever. When ultimately, you know, it's the oldest. It's the oldest art form. It's storytelling. You know, it goes back to, um, you know, when we're painting on walls and you know, talking over campfires, and and, and that's what it's about. Is, is sharing a good story and exactly. I, I, you know, I don't think anyone should be able to judge anyone on their sort of taste or um. Yeah, so if if you are like I say, so get them in. There's going to be no judgment from from any of us on on what you like at all. Which no. I'll probably sound like a hypocrite in about twenty minutes when I judge you on one of yours. <laughs> Quite possibly. So to clarify, I only judge Mike's picks. Everyone else's is fine. Yeah, good choices. Everyone else. <laughs> right. Let's crack on. Cool. Let's hear the whoosh. Right, let's hear your number five pick then, Mike. So with this in mind, uh, of what I've just said previously about not judging people's on sort of quality, this this one here for me, um, I try, I don't know, I try and read three or four books a year that's considered, you know, young adult. Um, so being a teacher, I can sort of recommend books uh, to students and things like that. And one jumped out to me when I was at Waterstone. It's called The Novice by Taryn Matharu. And it's a trilogy called The Summoner Trilogy. And um, I just read the blurb and I was like, that's basically Pokemon meets Harry Potter, which sounds awesome. I'm already sold. Yeah, so it's a fantasy 
young adult fiction. But like I say, I've read it, and I recommend it to my friend who, who's um, used to be, like, similar to you, used to be really big into reading up until university, exactly the same as you, and he hadn't read a book in years. Um, and I recommended that to him, and he, he absolutely loved it. And um, yeah, it's essentially about this idea of you can have a demon um, that you can summon, and essentially you almost have to like you you sort of, you sort of absorb their energy. You know, rather than having like a, a, a pokeball or something physical to, to hold them in, you also sort of absorb them and then summon them. And um, you can have like a different summoner level. So like some people yeah. are more gifted than others. And the higher level you are, the higher level uh, demon you can get from this sort of other world they can go to. Um, and yeah, so it's about this person who, who gets the demon when he probably shouldn't have. Um, and as a result, he has to go to this university, which is normally for the, the wealthy um and like the the lords of this land their children so it's quite interesting because it explores those sort of topics of like racism because there's other races like dwarves and elves it looks at sort of elitism and the class system and and this idea of how like say it's typically seen in this world as something that the the rich is supposed to have it's a gift on the wealthy and powerful um and then on top of that as well as you know the university element there's a there's a wider war being uh waged in the background as well, which becomes more prevalent in the in book two and book three. So, yeah, like I say, if if, if you like Pokemon and you like Harry Potter, it's, it's a no-brainer, really. It's a really, really good book, really easy read, um, because it's very fast-paced as well. Um, and you say it's young adult in terms of the style as well. Yeah, but I also wouldn't say it's a children's book either, if you know what I mean. Like I said, you know, I think that can maybe, you know, it's definitely higher level than, you know, it's, like, it's not like, it's not... The, the the content is fairly graphic, I guess, in, in some yeah. ways. Some of the things that happen, the topics that they talk about. So, you know, I wouldn't say it's a children's book at, at any stretch of imagination, but yeah, maybe something they called uh, young adult fiction. That sort of, it's where it's kind of got adult themes, but it's written in an easier to digest format, I guess. Okay. No, that one actually sounds really interesting. Maybe I'll have a look. Um, is it the Summoner um, trilogy? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Because I'm looking on... Uh... Amazon, and it seems to be a book four. Yeah, well, it's not actually a book four; it's a prequel. Is it? Okay. Is it called the? It's got like a blue background. The out, Outcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that is one of the sort of side characters from the trilogy. It's their past. So you see a side character's experience when they were at university 20, 30 years before this book happened. So, um, but yeah, so that's a sort of, you could read that as a standalone, but I would recommend reading the trilogy first and then the prequel last. Well, yeah, if it comes as book four, you, you should read in that order, really, shouldn't you? Yeah, but you could start with that one. Like, I think, I think, Taryn, I think his name's Taryn Mathuru, the author, and he purposely, yeah. I think, wrote the that prequel to be that. Because the problem is, is as well, the first book, um, was literally the first book he published. He started publishing it online for free on a, a website called, I think it's called Wattpad or Wordpad, where you can publish okay. your, your yeah, book I've heard chapter that. by chapter. W-A-T-T, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, then he, then he got published properly. And I think, you know, the problem is you start writing the prequel, you've already written three books, you're a much better writer than you were when you wrote your first book. So in some ways, you want your audience, your new audience to come in on your fourth, well, that prequel book, because it's your, your better standard of writing in a way. You've learned your craft a bit more. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but I, I would, I'd always recommend starting with the publication order first, so with number one, The Novice. Okay. That's intrigued me. I, 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 I think, I think you that. really like it. Yeah, I, I want to start reading more, again. Do you know what, as well, did... it's... it's, it's... 
it's not a, a long read as well, which, you know, that's why I really enjoyed it. I got through the first book in a, a day, I think. I think I literally read it one day and got home, read it, and then just read it until I went to bed and finished it. So it's quite nice as well. You know, sometimes some books can be a bit of a... You know, it's like, oh, yeah, the last the last 20 pages were amazing, but the first 500 are really tough. It's like, <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> no, good, good choice. Right, should we go for Sally's book next? Yes. She's given a little spill as well, explaining why she likes it, and a bit about the book as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, get my reading voice on. In at number three for Sally. Number three? I meant number one. Number five. Number five. <laughs> Are you okay? Are you having a little bit oh, less dear. sleep now? You've got a new book. <laughs> I was going to say, it's almost as say, well, <laughs> I posted on Facebook, but I'll tell you, because you don't have Facebook. The other day, I um, was making a pie, and I managed to burn my phone case on the saucepan, <laughs> basically cooking it. And then completely curdle all of the pie filling, and then we ended up just having sandwiches. <laughs> so that was a solid start. Lack of sleep or no excuses? No excuse, really, I don't <laughs> think. But I'm going to blame it on lack of sleep. Safe bet. All right, in at number five, The Lord of the Flies by William Golding. Yeah, great book. So it's a book about a group of boys stranded on an island, and it's them trying to work out how to survive. It's an allegory about our human society and it makes you think about what would happen if we were left to rule ourselves. Would we prefer order or chaos? Would we prefer to live sensibly or like savages? And the monsters that we fear, do they live outside or within us? The prose is rich. William Golding spends so much time creating the environment around the island that it might feel very tedious, but then you realise it was very important for the reader to feel the dread that they feel in the end. You can actually hear the rustle of the leaves or the sound of the waves and the loneliness of the night because they all have been described in such minute detail. It's a perseverance kind of book, but it is so, with three O's, worth it. <laughs> so yeah, all I actually know about Lord of the Flies is it's about a group of children dumped on an island. Well, not dumped on an island, but sort of, are they shipwrecked or they crashed there on an island? Yeah. Um, that there's a boy called Piggy. Yeah. And that The Simpsons did a parody of it. I'm about to say, yeah, The Simpsons did a parody <laughs> of it. Um, yeah. We wait. Let's wait a second. There seems to be a plane flying overhead. Yeah, there is. <laughs> <laughs> Who is going on holiday during a pandemic? Come in the cops. Is that better? Is that gone? I still hear it a little yeah. bit. Yeah, that's, that's gone now. Right, let's continue. So... Well, I'd say, you know, I think it is a, is a good book and it's a, it's a classic and it's, I think it's definitely one of those who are interested in like human nature and almost a psychology book. Um, I remember always thinking it's, it's a very pessimistic view of, of society, like that very much like a very low opinion of society, like this is what would be, would just turn into savages. But um, I remember reading the Guardian article that sort of looked at that notion of someone who, again, similar to me, was a bit annoyed by how like depressing you look at what humans would be like in that situation. So they tracked down a real life situation, and it happened in um, I can't remember where it, it was. Either it was New Zealand, Australia, or uh, Fiji, somewhere around there. But there was a boys' school who tried to bunk off for the day, and they yeah. went out in uh, to this boat, uh, fell asleep, and when they woke up, they were they were shipwrecked on this island, and they had to survive for months. And like one of the lads broke his leg, and they had to like put up a uh, using bits of wood that's tied either side and tied together uh, and they end up thriving they ended up eating really well they were hunting they were very democratic they sort of had no leader they sort of voted on things together 
Um, there was no issues, no real fallouts, and eventually they got saved. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and then they went back to it as they were sort of older um, to, to look back on their time and go through it. So it's like, it was quite nice to see like a, the, the counterpoint in a real-life situation of where that didn't actually happen. Yeah. Um, I'll try and find the, the article, Sendy, because it's really interesting. That does sound interesting. Maybe we'll share it to the uh, listeners as well. Yeah. Are we looking now, are we? Yeah. Sorry. I was, like, <laughs> I, was waiting, I was waiting for you to do a bit filler for me as I tried to find it. Well, considering, like I said, my the only thing I know about it is just seeing how these kids survive on the island, effectively, and how they sort of turn against each other, don't they? Some of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I really know about it. So I can't really delve too much. But this is why we've got the guest in today saying books and her opinion on them, because... At least it's someone else with a bit more of an idea than me. Well, I thought it was really well written as well. Her, yeah. Her well, like I said, she she reviews any book she reads, she'll review on Instagram. So similar sort of style. Uh, found, I've emailed you that article. Yeah, they were, they were on shipwreck for 15 months and they were basically fine. <laughs> uh, and what? where were they from? So not what happens on in Lord of the Flies. No, but I think that's really nice, isn't it? Yeah. Right, shall I go for my number five? Yeah, I'm excited, let's hear it. <laughs> I wouldn't, I'd get your hopes down. This is the first book I read in probably about ten years, like, from cover to end. What, like, post-uni we're talking about? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's because it was quite nerdy and I was able to get behind it, and I sort of really enjoyed sort of going into this little dystopian world that um, the author had built up, and it's Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. It's not an amazing book, I'm not going to say that in the slightest, but to keep my attention enough for me to read it from without stopping effectively, because I did just read it constantly and finish it, I think it deserves a uh, well done. You're my number five book. Yeah, no no need to apologise for enjoying a book and it not being... But my thing that stopped me is I think it's a lot of... I remember reading it's a lot of 80s references. There's a hell of a lot of 80s references. And obviously I grew I... up in the 90s, so I was like, I don't know if I'll get most of it. Well, I was born in the 80s, but only by a month and a half. So, <laughs> but I still, I, I, my friends always said to me when I was growing up, like, you should have been born in the 80s. Like, the 80s culture was always something I was on board with. So I really actually did understand a lot of the references. But I get what you mean. There was a lot of old school references in there. But it was just like, I remember there's one scene. So this is completely different from the film. Have you seen the film? Yeah. Um, But he literally, um, to get one of the keys, is sitting there just playing a game on an old arcade machine and that's it <laughs> in the fil- film they turn it into that scene um in the shining oh yeah oh yeah it's a weird scene as well that. yeah it's literally him i think it's called joust the game i might be wrong with that but it's literally him just beating this game and then getting the key and that's it what do you th- um cause he's released a sequel recently hasn't he like very recent mm-hmm. this year uh, and there's a lot of criticism about his handling of female characters and again i've not read either of them but could you speak on that? Or is there anything you noticed? Anything ring a bell for you there? Not that I noticed. I wouldn't say that there's... There's obviously... I'd say the only female character is Artemis in it. Yeah. But I don't think he handles her badly. I think she's shown to be quite a powerful character. But I haven't read the sequel yet. It might, the, I think it is more in the sequel that there's a lot of problems that people have. I've got the sequel. I have got the sequel, but I'm a bit... I, I'm going to read it at some point, but... I don't think it was a book that needed a sequel. Yeah, I, I, again, I've only watched the film and, and heard bits about it, maybe read it, but yeah, I found it strange when a sequel's announced. Yeah. But there we go. So yeah, that's uh, Ready Player One for mine. Like I say, I don't think you're going to get a lot more detail from me because I don't, I don't think it's an amazing book in the slightest. It was just another book that I did really enjoy. And it did get me kind of back into reading again. So 
I've got to give it that credit. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, one yeah. I was going to say, Plain Central with you at the moment. Um, right, ready. I think it's quiet. Right. Are we ready for your number four choice then? I think so. My number four is a Shakespeare play, mm-hmm. which I promise is only one of two sort of pretentious choices. Um, <laughs> but this, I guess this is an impassioned plea from me for people to give Shakespeare another go because I think I think people are I don't know it's not taught very well at secondary school per se um, because there's a, just a huge focus on an exam at the end rather than maybe an appreciation for it so I've gone for I've gone for Romeo and Juliet um, yeah and I think because I think I think it's one of the more engaging from from a from a storytelling point of view um, and I think the fact that it's spawned so many sort of genres since it. Now, Romeo and Juliet wasn't originally... The idea didn't come from Shakespeare. There was a, a poem that he took the idea from and sort of changed it and adapted it to fit what he want, the message he wanted to send out. But, yeah, that idea of star-crossed lovers, how many times have we seen that in film, TV, literature? Oh, in the games. whole... Yeah, Romeo and Juliet is just everywhere if you think about it. Absolutely everywhere. And, but like, and it's still the relevant, themes of it. I mean, but it's still relevant today, isn't there? Yeah. Like, you know, you still see these divided societies that are, are you know, people shouldn't be together. Whether it be religion, whether it be you know countries, whether it be um, social classes, especially in certain areas in in certain countries and certain continents. And like, I, I just find it fascinating, and I love the fact as well. Like. I remember always thinking, because everyone knows, obviously, famously, they kill themselves at the end, and it's just, it seems stupid. And I was just like, well, you know, Shakespeare's guys one of the best writers ever. Why? Why did he do something that seems so ridiculous? And then I remember reading about, like, you know, all the problems with, like, the Protestants and Catholics during that time. Yeah. And then, obviously, like, Queen Elizabeth had just died. Um, well, sorry, a couple of years. When Queen Elizabeth died, he was still writing. He wrote Macbeth, and King James I came on. So I was like, I wonder if there's, there's that element of, of like, Protestant and Catholics, and and that idea of if you keep forcing each other to to not be together and hate each other, these divisions, then people are going to die as a result. Because there's this character yeah. called Mercutio, who's neither Montague or Capulet, who's killed because he sort of gets in the middle. And it's the idea of it's not just these small groups of people that are fighting; it's affecting everyone else through their sort. Well, you could even take it down to it, not necessarily even get killed, like killed is to the extreme, but just get hurt yeah. because of all of this. Yeah. And it's that idea as well, isn't it? Is is if you don't stop it naturally yourself, something really bad's going to happen, and that's what it is. That death, that those sort of that that accidental joint suicide, uh, right at the end, Montagues and Capulets, their parents decide to end the feud essentially between the families. But it's like it shouldn't have taken that, should it? it? Shouldn't have taken two young people who ultimately just loved each other to stop being so stupid and fighting over something that they probably can't even remember anymore. Now, again, I just think. That's more relevant today than ever. Even with politics, politics becomes so tribal, isn't it? You know what I mean? You're an idiot oh, if you don't believe this. No, you're an idiot if you don't believe this. Um, and it's like there's there's no middle ground. There's no room for discussion anymore. And um, I think. Well, that you think about Brexit. It. Brexit, for example, that tore couples apart because people are arguing different points. Like look past that sort of thing. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent though. Like genuinely, that's that's actually what's happened, is it? I remember reading yeah. about in Ireland. Um, about uh, Protestant Catholic things, a couple in the in the nineties that were teenagers, and, and basically they had a very similar thing that they both ended up dying. 
these two young kids trying to hide this, you know, I say a fair, a fair suggests that something illicit's happening or wrong and it isn't. <laughs> like they just no. loved each other and their families were, you know, of different beliefs and it's, yeah. I, no, it's... I, I just think, I think I felt like I had to get Shakespeare on there somewhere and I was trying to go for which one because um, there's, there's quite a few I like, but I, I think Roman Juliet's one that is not just important and weighty and like I say, you know, being reused so much, but I think it's genuinely accessible. I think Shakespeare's really intimidating when you look at it you know it's like one block of text but when you actually take it line by line most of the words are either in modern english or you know it's spelt slightly differently but you can tell what it is like yeah a feared instead of afraid or whatever um and i think it's genuinely like you can understand what's going on well i think shakespeare like you said or touched on earlier should i say i don't think you quite said this but um because you're taught it at such a young age i don't think you necessarily understand it and because you're being taught it and forced to read it mm. It makes you almost hate it, doesn't it? Yeah. You sort of build a barrier against liking it. And Shakespeare was always meant to be seen, not heard as well, wasn't it? And Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, you know, like, um, Bath Lurham's version is so good. Like, so, so good. And I know loads of people who have no interest in Shakespeare, but absolutely adore that film. It is such yeah. a great film. Or um, Elton John's animated version, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Absolute class. Do you know what? I've never seen it, but it's actually quite good. It's got say, Emily, think... em, Emily Blunt is Julia, and um, uh, James McAvoy is Romeo. James McAvoy is such an underrated actor, by the way. Like, oh, I wouldn't say he's underrated. I, I think he's brilliant. Yeah, but I, I don't think he. I don't think he gets put in those discussions at the very, very top. We're going off topic here, but anyway, that's another top five for another day, I guess. But yeah, uh, yeah, Romeo and Juliet is my uh, number four. No, it's a good one. I like it. And you're saying about, I, I really want to start, start getting into Shakespeare just before the lockdown happened. I think we all discussed, um, me, you, Shauna and Lauren discussed going camping to Stratford-upon-Avon. Yeah, we did, yeah. And potentially seeing the sort of open-air theatres because they have free performances of shows there. But yeah, I also want to go see, this one wouldn't interest you, but there's a play, a musical on in the West End called Anne Juliet. And it's basically um, Anne Hathaway disagrees with how Shakespeare's finished the play and wants to give Juliet some more life and actually meet someone she um and have a, have a happier ending. Hmm, so it sort of continues the story and bring brings Juliet back to life or has her not kill herself. But I also think but, her her death is perfect though because like in some ways as heartbreaking as it is and how tragic it is but like her dad's trying to force her to marry this guy called Paris who's older than her she's never met she doesn't love. Um yeah. And like like it's it relates, doesn't it, to how little women, particularly in the, the in more so in the upper classes than the lower classes, with the lack of choice they have in marriage and love, and like you know, like it was like this. This was at least her decision; she could control that. Just yeah. I mean, because if she, because she obviously wakes up and he's dead, that's, she could that's leave. A good point. I like she that. She could yeah. leave it and just carry on her life. She'd get her tell off by her dad and, and go marry. You know, be forced into marrying Paris still. So we wouldn't have changed that, would it? Really? Let's be honest. Um, no. And I, you know, at least like that idea that that was her choice, that was her freedom. You know, no one could control that for her. Even you know, Romeo died before it, so it was her choice completely. I, I, I don't know. I like that. No, good choice. I like it, and yeah, glad we got. Uh, I think we. I've, I think I've got a few classic authors on there, but he's like the classic, classic playwright, isn't he? Yeah. Right. My not my Sally's number four choice is one that I know for a fact is my wife's number one choice. I know what it of is. Books. Go on. Do you want me to, to say it? Yeah, go on. See if you can guess it. It will be... 
um, I want to say Grapes of Wrath, but it's not Grapes of Wrath. It's, it's not. The it begins with G. Great Gatsby. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. So what she said is, I love everything to do with the 1920s, and it seemed like such. It seemed like such a fun era. The book is full of parties and drama, but underlying all is a love story and Gatsby's desperate hope for Daisy. And I'm a hopeless romantic, so I love it. Um, yeah, it's one that I've I've watched the film of uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio. And I read the synopsis once when, um, because I knew Lauren loved it so much, so I wanted to know what it was about. Um, and it is a good book. It is a really interesting and sort of great story to be told here. Yeah, I, I I'm, I'm not a huge, huge fan. I, I like it. I think it's great, and I can completely appreciate why people love it. Uh, it's just not one that, when I read, like really stuck with me for whatever reason. Um, yeah. Like I, said, I can't comment on the actual writing style or anything like that. The, uh, the only, th- but the one thing I can think of is, I think it's right towards the end, it's one of the last few pages. I think there's this really great line where it says, "Tomorrow we will run faster, stretch out our arms farther." And like, I don't know, I love that with all the, you know, I don't know. Like I say, if you compare that to some of the more, the more depressing books written at that time. I don't know, there's like a little bit of optimism there. I think. And, yeah. And like, I don't know, that's really stuck with me. Even though the whole book doesn't really end out optimistically and it's actually quite a depressing ending yeah but but it's about but i think that summarizes the book in a way doesn't it Cause it's about it's about yeah. striving for greatness and you know living for today almost and and tomorrow being a better day and you being a success and and getting what you want yeah it's a great great film by baz Luhrmann, though again yeah so just two, makes... two two great adaptations yeah. by baz Luhrmann in one choice I feel like I need to rewatch Moulin Rouge now because I hated that film. But that is two unbelievable <laughs> Do you know, films. The other the other day, I was um, going through all the new uh, content on Disney Plus, and I saw Moulin Rouge there, and I said I've watched it once, but the the ending was spoiled for me by the person I was watching it with before it even started. So I don't think I was that interested. But I want to sort of go back now. I've got more of an appreciation for musicals and stuff like that to see if I enjoyed it. I I, I don't know. I've I like Hugh McGregor a lot more now, so I feel like I'll automatically like it a bit more just because I prefer Hugh McGregor. Yeah, that's fair. Right, good choice, Sally. That's her number four, The Great Gatsby. My number four is a book I doubt you've heard of, and I remember reading when I was very, very young. It was my dad who uh, gave me it. It's a very, very short book. I don't think there's very many pages at all. In fact, I'm on Wikipedia now, 146 pages. And it's called Adolf Hitler, My Part in His Downfall. (laughs) A cheery Sunday book, that. <laughs> Actually, it's a comedy book. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. So it's written by Spike Milligan from The Goon Show. Um, and it's his war memoirs. So he planned it originally. So at the beginning of the book, it says that um, he has a trilogy that he plans to sort of release on his war memo- memoirs. But then by the- he released a fourth one that said, don't be fooled, this is the last volume four of the war memoirs. But then he ended up doing seven in total. <laughs> Um, and the pro, like, he is quite, a, he's famous. Well, he's famous for the Goon Show and being a great comedian. His sort of dry sense of humour, like on his t- um, uh, tombstone, not tombstone. What's the word for him? Grave. Um, there's basically a quote from him saying, "I told you I was ill." <laughs> so he's got a quite dry sense of humour, and it's just basically his uh, sort of warm um, sort of uh, description about what happened in a very light-hearted way. So it starts off. Sort of um, when he's with his family and um, Neville Chamberlain sort of uh, gives the announcement that they're at war. And the end of this one finishes, it says here, because I can't remember exactly, um, in Algeria as part of the Allied liberation of Africa. 
So it sort of goes on and on and on. Like the final one, I think it's called Mussolini, My Part in His Downfall. But it's just a really amusing way of telling the whole story of quite a dark time in history, really. Mm. And he sort of, he doesn't sort of shy away from it all, but he also does it quite lightheartedly. Like I've got a quote here from the book. The die was cast. It was a proud day for the Milligan family as I was taken from the house. I'm too young to go, I screamed as the military policeman dragged me from my pram, clutching a dummy. At Victoria Station, the RTO gave me a travel warrant, a white feather, and a picture of Hitler marked, This is your enemy. I searched every compartment, but he wasn't on the train. (laughs) At 4.30, June 2nd, 1940, on a summer's day, all mare's tails and blue sky, we arrived at Bexalon Sea, where I got off. It wasn't easy. The train didn't stop there. So it's quite a light-hearted yeah. way of explaining how it's done. It's sort of full of it, um, anecdotes, and he claims everything in the story happened. Obviously, like that light-heartedness clearly didn't happen. But it's just a nice... It's not a nice story, because obviously, like I say, it's a dark part in history. But he does a good way of sort of talking about it and bringing to light all the anecdotes. I like that. I've just had a little Google of him. He sounds like an interesting character. He was born in India, it says as well. Oh yeah, Spike Milligan is a really interesting, funny man. So uh, I'm, I might have a look into some of that as well. Yeah. Yep, so that's my number four. W- when did you read it again? When When did I read it? Years ago. I must have been about 10 or 11. Oh, nice. What made you read it? Yeah. Who, who gave you? Who recommended my, it? It was, it was my dad who gave it to me. Was he a big fan then? He's a fan of Spike Milligan and the, and the Goon Show. Oh, nice. Yeah. He's a big fan of all the old school sort of um, radio oh. comedies. So that's my number four. Number three. So, <laughs> should we go for that again? <laughs> no, 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 you're keeping that in 100%. <laughs> oh, I'm finding, as I'm burping <laughs> at the moment, I'm sat there trying to burp him and I end up burping myself constantly. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, I, Daddy did one, now it's your turn. You're trying to be like, yeah, positive role model. This is how you do it. Let me model this behaviour. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, amazing. So, my number right. three. <laughs> um, my number three is my last sort of pretentious pick. Like I said, I tried to go for um, sort of varied ones. So I've gone from Shakespeare to maybe my favourite time of of writing in lot, for lots of different reasons, and that's Victorian. Victorian? Yes, correct. Charles, Charles Dickens? Yeah, I think, yeah, I like Dickens. I've got a big appreciation for him. But more the horror writers, more like the uh, the Mary Shelley's, the Stokers. Oh, okay. Um, and, yeah, that sort of, you know, that that horror, gothic horror sort of genre. I just think... No, I, I absolutely agree. I think any horror from that era is fantastic. Yeah. And I, th- I don't know, I think... I think it's widely regarded. I think one of the worst films ever made. But when I watched it as a kid, I loved it. But if you, um, League, I love Extra- how we tie all of our books into films. films by the way, uh, did you watch League of Extraordinary Gentlemen with Sean Connery? Yes. Which apparently, by the way, is meant to be an incredible graphic novel that's based. I'm desperate to read it. By, yeah, um, uh, Alan, Alan. Yeah, Moore. by Alan Moore. Um, but yeah, they get all these gothic monsters and creatures and characters, and and they come together as I guess almost the the Avengers style thing. So Yeah. Um but yeah and, and the one that I'm gonna go for out of all of them, I, I was trying to think between them, but I, I'm gonna go for Frankenstein. Oh yeah, Mary Shelley. Yeah, and the reason I've gone for this is like I think a part of again the reason I love it is I also I quite I'm, I quite like history and with 
Gothic literature, there's a fascinating period of history going on there, particularly that period of the Enlightenment where science was becoming such a big part of society and starting to give answers that historically was just God did it. You know, religion was the answer. Um, so a lot of these books explored those themes. And like Frankenstein was the best, I think, this idea of playing God. Um, and yeah, I love this idea that Frankenstein's a scientist who wants to sort of create life. Um, so he stitches all these body parts together. He finds a way to harness electricity to create the monster. Um, and it's that idea that, like, again, for people who are interested in psychology as well, it's like the idea of like nature versus nurture. Are we, you know, are we evil because we were born? We're inherently evil, i.e., nature. Or is it nurture? Is the way that we've been raised that, that yeah. turn us into these people? Um, and you look at it, it's that heartbreaking, really, because you have this, you know, wait, you know, he wakes up, he he he's born, and he's so hideous that his his own creator, you know, abandons him. He's essentially a baby, a newborn. He can't talk, uh, and then he's wandering around in this forest, and he finds this uh, this blind man who lives in this hut in this forest, and he, he's got to. Um, kids that live with him and he sort of hides because he knows the way that people react to him, humans react to him negatively and he, and he learns, he learns to, to speak and read by, by looking through gaps in the in the hut whilst the, the old man sort of tells stories and things like that and he finally thinks, okay, he's blind, he can't see me, he goes in and has this conversation and everything seems to be going well and then the children come back and again you know, monster, they chase him out and uh, in the end he decides the only thing he can do is have, his, have a wife, he can have a bride then he can... Um, he says, well, leave society and, you know, but you need someone, like, you need company, you need companionship. And the months Frankenstein agrees and last minute changes his mind and as revenge, he kills his wife. And then there's this cycle where now Frankenstein spends the rest of his life chasing down the monster. And Didn't realise there was that much to it. Yeah, it, honestly, yeah, it's great. And it's like I said, it's, you know, that look at who's right, who's wrong. You know, this idea of the dangers of playing God and this idea of responsibility if you create something you have to 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 take like i say not control me but responsibility for what you've created and and help raise it and i think there's still a lesson for science in there isn't it just because we can doesn't mean we should yes uh, like it freaked me out when i learned that they're trying to get samples from mars and bring it back to earth i'm like pretty sure that's a sci-fi story <laughs> where we get some it weird is, but... disease and isn't that how venom <laughs> becomes s- into yeah, the symbiote. Yeah, but like, like I say, you know, I'm not saying, but I'm just saying it, it just it brings up interest because again, it's a book written all those hundreds of years ago, but it's still relevant today, isn't it? You can still argue the case. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that's what makes some of those books. It gives them the survival because they're relevant no matter what era you're looking at them from. Definitely, um, and and her life was just fascinating. Like she was married to a poet. Um, called Percy Shelley, and they spent well she, when she wrote Frankenstein. She was living in I want to say Switzerland, which is why part of the book's based there. And she was uh, with the poet uh, Byron as well. And I just find it interesting that all these Victorian authors sort of just seem to they all seem to interact, but across the world as well. If you have to mean, they'd all go to these yeah. different areas of the world and meet up and, and talk about writing and life. And I'm like that. Be- well, I learned that from a recent um, Doctor Who episode because they all feature in it. Oh, do they? <laughs> yeah. That's quite cool though that Doctor Who I know it's got a lot of criticism on it since Matt Smith left of not being great, but I love that with this new one it seems to be they do like one historical and one sort of sci fi and Yeah, they sort of lean into more the sort of historical stories as well. Because I think like one of them back when David Tennant was around, I think it was David Tennant, mm. uh, it was about because Agatha Christie vanished for months, years. What in real life? Like she just completely this... Yeah, in real life. Yeah. And they sort of had a story about that as well. That's cool. What what happens were. But yeah. 
No, good choice, Mary Shelley. I like it. And I've realised I've just got to get my phone to get Sally's choice. Oh, whilst you're doing that, I'm going to fill my water. Up. But I've got my headphones, and I can still hear you talking to me. Hi, Mike. How are you today? See, I'm talking to you, but you're not talking back to me because you've now gone away from the mic. You see the issue here? Yeah, I see, I see the issue here, even if you don't. I just felt lonely. I wanted to hear your voice. <laughs> <laughs> right, you're back and settled? Yeah. So this is one by Sally that I've heard of, but I don't know a single thing about. Okay. And I don't think you'll know that much about it either. Okay. But I might be wrong. Like I said, you're an English teacher. You know all the books in the world. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> it's, uh, so in at number three, is it her number three? My number three. It is her number three. Um, is The Bridges of Madison County by Robert James Waller. No, is it a film as well? Yeah, I so when I was... Yeah, that's what I'd heard of as well. It's also a musical. Uh, so it's a short romance novel about a photographer who comes into a small town one summer to photograph the covered bridges and ends up falling in love with a married woman. It's stylized as a true story, but is in fact fiction. I just love a, I just love a love story, and it depicts longings of men and women everywhere and shows us what it is, is to be loved. Sorry, I'll say that again. And shows us what it is to love and be loved so intensely that life is never the same again. Nice. Yeah, it sounds like an intro. It's not one I don't think for me or Mike, but that's why it's interesting to hear everyone else's choices. I don't mind a romance. I, I quite like. No? I don't know if you call, count them as specific romance, but I think I would. But like, I love a John Green book. I th- oh I yeah, think, I yeah. think he's really good. He's got such a strong like narrative voice. Like the characters, you know, feel like you're in the head of that character. And their personality like really shines through in like the writing. Yeah, there we go. Sorry, we haven't got much to say on this one, Sally, because it's one that neither of us know that much about. But thanks for bringing it in. I say bringing it in. Sounds like doing show and tell. <laughs> thanks for <laughs> giving us that recommendation. And yeah, if anyone else enjoys it, let us know. Right, should we hear my number three? Yeah, let's do it. This is one everyone in the world would have heard of. Biff and Chip. <laughs> great comic, not comic. Great um kids book. Um. No, my number three is The Hobbit nice. by J.R.R. Tolkien. Obviously, everyone knows about it. Um, I've never actually read The Lord of the Rings. I've watched the books, obviously. Watched the books, watched the films, but I've never read them because when I read The Hobbit, that's a bit too old for me, I think. But The Hobbit is a children's book through and through. Um, and it's just a really nice story about uh, Bilbo Baggins and sort of he has to go on this big dramatic journey. And it's sort of like he changes as a character because he's always sort of like, being a hobbit, they're sort of like, sort of, what's the word? Enclosed and don't really go out on these big extravagant journeys. They just eat a lot of food and have grand parties. <laughs> but he sort of goes on this big quest um, with a load of uh, dwarfs and Gandalf. And it's just almost like a coming of age story, except it's not a coming of age because he's a bit older. But you get what I mean when I say that? Yeah, yeah, no, I do mean. I think it's because it, he, he, he's older, isn't he? Because he's a hobbit. But he does come of age because he, like you say, he's quite like insulated in his society and, and things yeah. like that. He's not very brave, is he? That's the whole point. And no, and he get he gets the bravery as it comes on. Yeah, exactly. And and, and as well, like, you know, his confidence grows in on different ways as well, doesn't it, as the story goes on. Yeah. It becomes no, more absolutely. worldly. Yes. No, it's a lovely story. Um the films are nowhere near as good as the book. Such a they weird put. film to put to a trilogy. Uh, yeah. Well they should have kept it as two like the final battle it's barely mentioned in the book because Bilbo gets hit on the head and knocked out for the whole battle. I wonder if that's why. I remember in one of the Game of Thrones books, that happens to Tyrion. 
Yeah. In the book, he's getting ready to ride, and then he gets knocked out, but it's straight away, and then he wakes up and the battle's finished. I wonder if that's a homage at all to, to that. Could could be then. But yeah, it's just a really good story, and I don't know how true this is, because I tried Googling it, but I definitely have heard this. Like, The Hobbit was J.R.R. Tolkien. He started um, telling his uh, son um, bedtime stories, I've also and heard eventually. This. Yeah, eventually evolved this big sort of mythical world that he created, and he sort of then started putting it to paper. And I know this one pretty much to be true. Um, with regards to the Hobbit, he actually started writing it when he was marking exam papers because he found a black blank piece of paper and he just started writing the story while he was um, marking papers. I think, but it's it's just the whole world he created, isn't it? Yeah. Like I don't think orcs existed until him, but it's such a big thing that everyone now knows about. Like in the sort of fantasy world, but orcs were created by J.R.R. Tolkien. As well, he's known for creating, um, well, for, for being like the, he created modern fantasy, what it is today. Oh, absolutely. I, um, just as a little side story, I went to um, Northumberland and was going around second-hand bookstores. I found a really beautiful copy of The Hobbit. Um, oh, yeah. And I opened it up and it had in it a newspaper article. I've got it in front of me. From 1973, uh, oh, yeah. a Hobbit habit that hooked millions and is talking about the sort of uh, how the pipe smoking in it had uh, encouraged smoking in Britain, pipe smoking in Britain in the 70s. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so weird, isn't That's it? That's cool. That's cool that they've sort of like kept that in there. I know. And there's interest about I know. it. I think it's really cool that I've got a newspaper article cut in that's older than me. No, he's a fantastic author and the world he's created is absolutely amazing. Um, it's a shame that we might not see any other sort of stories about his work because the Tolkien estate has banned it. But I wouldn't say they're not. Well, I've, I've heard a lot of people say they're very difficult to work with. Potentially. but Because um, the new Amazon one, even though it's set in the universe, it's not allowed to contain anything that he's written, is it? No, but in Which... some ways I don't think that's a bad thing because we've done a lot of... No, I don't of, either. I think, I think it's the third age. I don't, I'm not... The most clued up Lord of the Rings. I love the films, but I, I'm not the biggest no, um, same with me. source of knowledge. But yeah, I'm pretty sure Third Age was the films. And then I think, is this new TV show set in the Second Age? And if... Yeah, because, um, uh, what's his name? Elijah Wood's come out complaining about the um, title of it. The title being The Lord of yeah, the Rings. it's not about The Lord of the Rings. It's like, hold on, no, it's not about The Lord of the Rings. It's before that era. <laughs> Which is a very nerdy thing for people for someone to get hooked up about, but it's a fair point. Yeah, but I, th- I think, I, but I think the point is, and that's, I think the reason people do it is that the amount of law that he wrote and is out there in other books about this world is crazy. Like it's like no book can touch it for world building. So I think, to, yeah. I think people get frustrated to just hook it to one thing when there's so much out there. If you're, you know, if you're a real fan, if you've got this deep knowledge. That it's always oh, like absolutely patronising. So I get it. If you're a huge mega fan, like I'm sure he is, because he bet he read up loads to get ready for it. Oh, if, if you want to watch someone being a massive fan, so Stephen Colbert. Oh yeah, claims to be the, I've seen the these. biggest. Fa- Have you seen him go up against James Franco? Yeah, like so funny. He does it with someone so, else as well. There's another one he does it he? to, and it's really good. And he he said when he was on the set of The Hobbit, because he asked because he's such a big fan, Peter Jackson invited him to have some sort of like cameo role. Yeah. And they hire, they pay money to have a Lord of the Rings expert on there who's so knowledgeable. So they say, you know, can we put this in? And he'd be like, no, that didn't happen in this age. Or, you know, this wouldn't have been made then. Or, you know what I mean? Or, or yeah. no, you can't mention this character because of this. Um, and Peter Jackson made them have a Tolkien off. 
And Stephen Colbert won against the guy who hired to, <laughs> to, to, to do that, to be that. He genuinely loves it. I, so if anyone out there, have a look at the video against James Franco. James Franco claims he's a bigger expert than um, Stephen Colbert, and he gets absolutely schooled in one of the funniest ways possible. But what I love is he's one of the least arrogant people I've ever seen, but he gets like really arrogant to me, and he's like, you came to my house? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very funny yeah. video. Anyway, so yeah, that's my number three choice. Sweet. Right, shall we go for your number two? Let's do it. Um, Let's do it. This is my only sort of adult fantasy book that I chose. Um, I didn't want to pick my number one for in case we do, you know, our number one series. So I was thinking about it because, like I say, I, I really believe if you are character focused, like me as a reader, I think that's what drives me most is I get really um attached to the characters if it's and that's what that's the driving force for getting me through the book so interesting okay. uh, characters is, is what does it for me and the the blade itself is the first book of a trilogy by an author called Joe Abercrombie and if, you ever seen LA Confidential yeah it's he based the first book on that basically in the sense that there's no real plot it's about getting to know these characters who seem disconnected, but by the end, you know, they all interconnect for 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 whatever reason. Okay. So, some part of the criticism that people sometimes have with this first book is that it doesn't really feel like there's much of a plot or a storyline that comes in the second and third book. Um, but it never bothered me, like I say, because I'm such a character-driven reader. I never, I don't think I even noticed the lack of plots. I just enjoyed following these characters, um, and I think I sort, I think you sort of get the sense that they're coming together as well. Um, but yeah, so it's a multi-point-of-view book, and he was inspired by Game of Thrones. He made that, who's made for for better or worse, he's made that really popular in the fantasy genre that we follow lots of characters rather than one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in this grim, dark world, a bit like Game of Thrones, where you know any characters you know could die, and people aren't perfect, and every character essentially morally grey. There's no good guy and bad guy anymore. Um, they're all a bit of both, and. Um, one of my favourite characters in this story is a, uh, a character called Glockter. And Glockter um, used to be this incredibly handsome man. Like a bit of a, he's well known as a bit of a womaniser. He's one of the best sword fighters ever in the history of the world. He's rich. He's um, got everything going for him. But he's, he's basically an arrogant prick. And okay. uh, in a battle, he gets captured and tortured and crippled. Um, they remove his every other teeth on the top and bottom row, so he can never chew things properly. Um, they break his legs multiple times, and eventually he's free. Uh, and now, obviously, he's no longer handsome. He's no longer a soldier. Um, he ends up becoming a torturer because that's sort of what he knows best. Uh, because these people that tortured him are known as being like the, the best or the worst, I guess, depending on how you look at it, torturers in, in the world. Um, and he's just so... You might think then, why would you like, you know, following a character who's a a torturer then? It sounds like the worst possible yeah. thing, but he's just so funny and so... Like, you have this thing where he will... He's very likeable. Yeah, he? he'll say something out loud and then you'll see in italics his thought of it as well. So what he says and what he thinks, different things. I think that's what makes it so, like, compelling because you get to get a real sense of, of his character. Um, and again, because of the fact that he's 
the part of the world he's in, you know, there is a fight, well, there's two fighters that are sort of soldiers, so to speak, whereas this guy's more of the political side. So it's really interesting seeing him interact in that, in that part of the world as well. And again, so being able to hear what he thinks and what he says and seeing how clever he is as a character. Uh, so, like, sometimes he'll be saying something, he'll say, yes, sir, and then he'll say in his head, he's like, like, I, I can't wait to see you die, like in his head, and you like, say like, <laughs> the things he says and, and that what he thinks, you get to see both sides, and uh, yeah, I find it really interesting. No, it sounds a good one, and I know Joe Abercrombie is quite a big sort of fantasy writer, isn't he? He's yeah. done a lot of big books, so I've never actually read any of his stuff. Is that sort of like the one of the main books series he has? Yeah, he wrote that trilogy, um, and it's really good because a lot, again, if you if you like your films as well, this is another great reason to read Joe Crombie. He always sort of bases his books on um, on films, and I think that's really interesting. But then he puts it into this fancy setting with his characters. Um, okay. So, for instance, he does a, a trilogy after this of standalone books, but in the same world. Yeah. The first one's called Best Served Cold, and it's this revenge story. A bit of an Ocean's Eleven. She gets a team together to help her to get revenge on this powerful character. And then the second mm-hmm. book he wrote in them was called The Hero. And that's really in, that's one of the most interesting books I've read because it's all based, the whole book is based over uh, four days, I'd say, a week maybe. And it's, okay. and it's this giant battle, essentially. And you follow different people on both sides in different sort of roles within the army and seeing it from different perspectives and seeing it unfold is so interesting. I've never read anything quite like it. No, I might have to have a look into his books. Yeah, I think, again... Um, Maybe this has encouraged me to read a bit. <laughs> well, I, I, if I can get anyone to read, uh, particularly fantasy, then I'll be really happy. So, yeah, Blade itself, Joe Crombie. Um, if, you, if you like dark, you know, if you like Game of Thrones, if you really like reading about interesting characters, uh, this is the book series for you. This is the author for you. Sounds good. Right. Number two choice for Sally. This is another book that I don't think you would have heard of, Mike. Okay. But reading the synopsis, I'm actually intrigued a little bit. Right. The Magic Cottage by James Herbert. A fun, slow-burning story about a loving couple wanting to get away from things and instead ending up in the middle of things. Strange happenings at a new cottage in the country, happenings that are slow to pick up on, lead to an all-out crazy ending that I enjoyed. Supernatural horror, my favourite genre in books, and really unexpected. Well, can I say as a recommendation for Sally, if she likes supernatural horror, to read The Dresden Files? What's that? The Dresden Files is a um, a book about a wizard detective living in modern-day Chicago who um, is like a private eye that people can come and hire. If there's like, but the world doesn't believe it, basically, that, that these things exist. Um and as the book series goes on, the 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 story gets bigger. There's a war okay. going on, and you know, like sometimes detective books, they solve a case, and then the next book, it's the same detective yes. but a different case, and it feels very repetitive. That can start out that the first three or four books, but then you start to see that that things become more connected, and there's a bigger world out there. So if you like supernatural horror, that is a great series to recommend and quite funny. Okay, but yeah, this one, um, the Magic Cottage. Like, you try Googling it, there's not that much information about it, so I don't know, but that intrigues me more, the mystery behind it. So Amazon describes it as a cottage... Well, this is the synopsis on the back of the book. A cottage was found in the heart of the forest. It was charming, maybe a little run-down, but so peaceful. A magical haven for creativity and love. 
But the cottage had an alternative side, the bad magic. What happened there was horrendous beyond belief. I feel like I've heard of James Herbert before. Oh, he's a big um, horror sort of writer. And I don't want to get this wrong, so I'm going to Google it first. So talk amongst yourselves, folks. People talk amongst themselves when listening to podcasts, don't they? Yeah, that's, that's, why they, that's what they do. They, they don't listen to it to hear other people talk. They do it so they can talk in the laws in between. I'm pretty sure that's uh, <laughs> what it is. Yeah. Yeah, good. Um, I'm wrong, so I'm gonna. We're gonna move on. Okay. <laughs> I'm not even gonna ask anymore. Right, you're number no, two. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good choice. Um, my number two is. I think you might disagree with the way round I got this compared to the Hobbit, but it's someone else who's created such a massive um fantasy universe. But I just love the story behind it, and it. I, my dad's another big. Um, he's got. In fact. Most of these books, Adolf Hitler, The Hobbit, and this one, he sort of gave me them to read. Can I guess what this one is? Um, yep, I feel on. like it's going to be one of two. It's either going to be Pratchett or it's going to be Hitchhikers. It's Pratchett, but Hitchhikers is a fantastic choice I forgot yeah. about. Yeah, it is Terry Pratchett's um, Discworld series, and specifically The Colour of Magic. It's just this whole st- like sort of universe that Terry Pratchett has created. I couldn't tell you exactly how many books. I've got it here. Hold on a second. It's a ridiculous amount, though. It's incredible. 41 in the main sort of novel stories, um, ranging from 1983 to 2015, which was released posthumously after he died. Um, but it's just incredible, the story and all this sort of religion and science. Like He's, cre- he's released books based on the science of this world. Like, which is incredible, like, the whole universe he's created inside its head. But um, for those who don't know, um, Terry Pratchett had Alzheimer's. I can't, don't know when he was diagnosed with it, obviously later in his life, but he still continued writing the Discworld novels because it was the one of the few things he could remember and get through. Sort of, like, that kept his memory intact, which is incredible. Yeah. Like, he's a great author, and he's written some of my favourite books. Like, um, another one is uh, Good Omens with Neil Gaiman. Uh... Highly recommend. But yeah, The Colour of Magic, it's the first book in the Discworld uh, series, and it stars um, Rincewind, who's a uh, incompetent sort of uh, wizard, who's hired as a guide to um, someone called Two Flower, who's not from the this city in Discworld, um, Unkmorpork. And it's basically their misadventures in this journey, so it sort of eventually gets revealed that all of their adventures have been sort of like part of a game of chess board game sort of style by some gods and sort of they're sort of causing all the sort of drama that's happening in their um, world. But it all leads to this big thing at the end and it sort of then follows onto the light fantastic which is the sequel to the book. It like ends on a big cliffhanger. But it's a great series. Highly recommend it. Um, most of them you don't have to watch it or sorry, read in any order but as the, the ser- whole series goes on the characters age and develop like so, so random people will have cameos in other books so they're the big focus on one, and then they'll just appear in a random scene on another book because of this massive universe he's created. Can I just add in here? Because I've never read Pratchett, but I've always wanted to. But I've done a lot of research into how to do it. And that there's three recommendations. There's one, Colour of Magic, which is the first... That's publication order, isn't it? Yeah. But a lot of people recommend going with Eva Mort, which is the first book about death a very human yep. character which is meant to be amazing probably his most iconic character yeah death is a fantastic per- the personification he creates of death is fantastic and the other book a lot of people recommend also or the part you know 
series start with first is Guard Guards, which apparently is meant to be hilarious. Yeah, yeah, a funny one. I've not read all of them. I'm pretty sure Guards Guards is one that I haven't read, but because there is so many of them out there. Oh yeah, exactly. But yeah, and you say it's hilarious. Like all of the books are actually really quite funny. Um, a review for, I read before I'm coming on to, or sort of us talking today, said that um, it was from like someone from the Guardian. The reviewer he said he has many stains on the top of um, his ceiling from when he's reading Terry Pratchett books and um, having a beer, and he's just spat out his beer laughing. <laughs> That's quite funny. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, highly recommend um, any Terry Pratchett books, but the Discworld series as well. Um, there's also children's books alongside the sort because of, I think I was first introduced to Terry Pratchett actually with either the Carpet People or um, the Amazing Maurice which are two children's books of his but he's just all of his books they're just fantastic interesting fantasy books well I think you've I think that might be my next purchase actually I might go for one of the uh, one of the, one of the Pratchett books I think next so there yeah. you go well if you can wait until we're eventually able to meet up again I can easily lend you the first because I've got the first couple here. Well, I think I might I might try and get them on um, audiobook. No, um, Kindle because I don't bother me not having the collection. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm never complete it, obviously. Oh, and what's annoying is so I don't know what happened, but um, in my there's a very there's a very stylized artwork to the Terry Pratchett books. It's sort of like got all the characters on the front and the back and the sides. But the last few didn't have that artwork and it's really disappointing. Yeah, I hate when they do that. So well, yeah. it honestly bothers me. Like, genuine rage. <laughs> so there we go. Right. Moving on swiftly with a swoosh. Should we go for the honourable mentions? Let's do it. Um, right. Yeah, you go first. Um, I think this is a series that lots of people like. Um, and obviously it's older than the Hunger Games, but I think Hunger Games sort of brought about that mass appeal of dystopian fiction. She had like things like the Divergent series, the Maze Runner series, and obviously you can go back to more, I guess, a bit more modern, like more adult, like The Handmaid's Tale. But the one mm-hmm. I've gone for is Shauna is a really slow reader. Like, oh, so like yeah, me. but in- incredibly, she'll read for like she's well, she's fat. Pe- she can actually read quite quickly, but she just doesn't read often. I guess is more. Uh, she'll read for ten minutes every other night. But I made her read a book that I'd read called Scythe by probably my favourite author's name, Neil Shusterman. I just think that's such a cool name. <laughs> and Scythe by Neil Shusterman is a dystopian book with a really, really interesting concept. So essentially in this world, they've cured death. Accidental, old age, all of it. No one dies. Even if you tried to, there's sort of something in your body that would heal you instantly. So, because of, obviously, overpopulation concerns, they create a new job uh, sort of title called a scythe. So, a scythe is someone who is able to kill people. So, only okay. they can do it. And how they do it is, is up to them, essentially. Um, some Because they get, like, a quota that they've got to do each, each year in the area they work in. Um, but the main scythe that you follow at the very beginning, um, he goes back to our our society so before they'd cured death and looks at like randomness so he'll be like this many percent of people um die swimming in a lake even though they're a good swimmer so i want you to go find a good swimmer and we're going to kill that person um and he takes on two apprentice scythes as well and it's just really interesting learning about this world and the history of how this came to be and the complications of being a scythe and you know, what happens to people and they think they can live forever. Um, 
but yeah, it's, like I say, if you, if you like the Hunger Games or any of those sort of dystopian books or films, I really recommend it. I imagine it'll get turned into a film within the next five, ten years if it's not already been made into one. And it'll be yeah, they all do at some point, yeah, don't so they? One of those good books to to read. And the other one, I won't go into much detail, but another really good dystopian one, maybe better. But I chose this because Sean is not the biggest reader, but she loved it. Um, is another book called Red Rising by. What's his name? Neil Brown? Patrick Brown? Looks like you're trying to find it on your shelves. Pierce Brown. There you go, Pierce Brown. Red Rising by Pierce Brown. Probably the best... No, not probably. It's the best dystopian book I've ever read. But yeah, I'm recommending Scythe as my honourable mention. Very nice. Right. Sally, I text her literally minutes before the podcast because I realised I didn't get her honourable mentions. And they've come through. So for her, she's given me four. We won't... She's not given any detail, but she's just said what they are. Um, Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. Yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Yeah. Lord of the Rings series. Yeah. And then the last one is one that's my honourable mention as well, and it's the Harry Potter series. Nice. Um, not great books, let's be honest, in terms of her writing. No, poor. She's a very, very poor writer. I've got an article from The Guardian here in front of me in which um, page 324 of The Order of Phoenix to give you a typical example of how... She gives such a pedestrian descriptive prose. Um, so this is a six contextive descriptions of the way people speak. And Snape maliciously... Sorry, I'll say that. Start that again. Said Snape maliciously. Said Harry furiously. He said glumly. Said Hermione severely. Said Ron indignantly. Said Hermione loftily. Yeah. It's just lazy. Yeah. Um, so she's not the best writers. And I read a thing like sort of um, saying about... Discworld, for example, in which it said to begin with, he's not the best of writers, but by the end of all these series, like he's getting so much better. But then when you look at uh, J.K. Rowling's um, Robert Galbraith, uh, well, when she writes as Robert Galbraith for the, um, I forgot what the detective's called, but Cuckoo's Calling and all those books, she's still not a great writer. She hasn't developed into good writing yet, and it's weird, like the first books are so childish as well. Yeah, they're really, really quite poor in terms of childishness, but. There's still books that everyone loves and everyone enjoys. We can't ignore them, regardless of the fact that the writing is poor. She has created a great world, even if I do feel she lies occasionally when people... Because I think someone asked her once, like, where's the cultural diversity? And she said, oh, yeah, there was definitely a Jewish student in the school. Why do you need to... Like... There's also... Yeah, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> like, And then even when she does do a bit of diversity, she gives them, like, like the Pravati twins. Like, you have to be, like, everything's very stereotypical. Yeah. And I just, like, yeah, I just go, look, it was the 90s, but, you know, I wasn't thinking, my publishers weren't on my bag. I'd, I'd at least respect that. If you but just the thing is, me. she doesn't necessarily say that they're white or white British, should I say. She doesn't go into that detail, but she doesn't need to change everyone like let people imagine like there might be um a black reader out there who's imagining harry potter as a little black boy and i think let them believe that like that's absolutely fine for like or say believe it like that's what their imagination is perceiving this character to be i think though that this is the problem is like i say you know jk Rowling stumbled upon a great book and you know like uh, i remember studying at university and basically it's piss poorly written but it's why then why is it so successful? And they look at if you think of a lot of your childhood books that you read, because that's essentially what it was at first, children's book. Um, yeah, you know, Biff and Chip, Diary of a Wimpy Kid for something a bit more, you know, a bit older. Children in those books don't age. You can have fifty books in a series, 
that's published across 35 years, but they never age. And what was so genius with Harry Potter was you grew up with Harry. You read the first yeah. one as 11, then you're 12 when he's 12, 13 when you're tween. Well, see, yeah, you would have been a little bit behind, but he was my age as I was growing up, yeah. which was pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I, I was... I was Close enough, though, that it still fell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not miles behind. Um, And that's what's made it so brilliant. And then the knock-on effect is that you grow up with such positive feelings of the books and the films that you're now going to bring it on to your next generation of children. And, yeah, that's that's what makes it successful. But it brings up that notion, doesn't it, of death of the author because she's turned into such a prick of a person. And just weird. Like, when she's like, oh, yes, here's a fact that's now canon, so it's true... Wizards just used to shit on the floor and then magic it away yeah. before they bought into Muggle Plum. And it's like, why, why, are you, why are you just making it weird? Why are you telling us this weird By the way, shit? guys, Mike is not making up this trivia fact. She did come out and oh, say yeah, that. Oh, yeah, 100%. She's a nut job. It's so weird. Well, yeah. in case we ever get big enough that we get sued, she's not a nut job. But it, it's like, and this was the problem, because she isn't a very good writer, she knows that she'll never, ever be as successful as this. I know that a detective series does pretty well, but she tried to do it under pen name, sold terribly, so then her editors accidentally released that, oh no, this is actually J.K. Rowling, sales went up. And I think because she knows yeah. that she'll never have something that's so successful, so popular, that she just feels like she needs to keep adding to it to almost, I don't know, stay relevant. Because this is the point now, Harry Potter has gone beyond J.K. Rowling. Because yes. people love the world and the characters so much. Um, and I think that just shows that, you know, she isn't, she's gone. For me, there's no, I, I still love Harry Potter because of the world and, and the characters and Hogwarts and the magic, but I do not associate that woman with it at all. That, you know, she's lost control. It's become too big now of it that, that she's, you know, I've, I don't associate <laughs> it with her at all. Which is fair. And I feel like you should be able to do that because there's so many authors, isn't there? Where they just turn out to be like absolute scumbag human beings, and then it's like, oh man, can I? You know, Roll Roll Doll was racist towards Jewish people, wasn't he? You know, quite famously made yeah. a controversial comment. Um, you know, does does that mean you can't enjoy Roll Doll anymore? You know, like where where's the line drawn? You know, I think definitely, I don't know. You know, that's a whole that's a whole podcast in itself we could talk about for hours. But for me personally, in the case of J.K. Rowling. That's done for me. I, I love the world. I don't associate any of it with her. Yeah, I think that's fair. Right, should we get out this heavy discussion and move on? Yeah, of course, let's do it. <laughs> let's keep this lighthearted. Let's move on. Right, in at number one. So, going with the lighthearted theme, um, I'm going to talk about... Uh, Mine can <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm going to talk about like, a very personal story for me as well, which I, um, if... People who know this story, people listening who know me will probably be... So shout out if Kim listens to this, she'll be pissing herself because she's the librarian at my school and I always tell this story to to, my, to students, year seven, when we do library lessons. But um, I had never read a book on my own until I was in year eight. So what, that's 12, 13. Really? Yeah, never read a novel on my own. Wow. I was always a you know, pretty decent reader, standard-wise. You know, I was asked to read aloud and stuff, but I don't know, it just never interested me. Um, and then I remember my parents even they said to my mum and my grandma look I, I worry that this will impact on his GCSE English if he's not reading um, so my grandma took me out that weekend to H Smith and, and just said buy a couple books so I had nothing but you know the covers and the blurbs and I picked two books up so I've put both of them because it's more attached to, to put me on this reading journey um, yeah. and it's Northern Lights by Philip Pullman 
Yeah. And Cirque de Freak by Darren Shan. Cirque de Freak, amazing. Yes, have you read it? Love that yeah, series. I've read Cirque Did you read all of them? But I've never. No, that's the oh. annoying thing, so I don't actually know what happens to it. Do you know what the ending? I mean, I'm not going to spoil it in case anyone goes out and reads it, but. I mean, I don't think they will. So, you know, when I said, like, The Novice, although it's easy to read, it's still quite a dull. I'd say Cirque de Freak yeah. definitely is, a, you know, sort of. 12 year old yeah somewhere between the ages of 10 and 13 um at the rate for reading it but what was great about certain freaks was i remember i read it and then i read the next couple but they weren't all out the series and my grandma used to go to waterstones and go when's the next darren shamble coming out and they find out for her and she'd put it in a little diary and then she'd come back like nine months later like on the day it released literally on the day she'd (laughs) buy it and she'd give it to me and i remember she gets so annoyed because by the end, I'd, I'd be so excited to find out the series finished that I'd read the book in a day. So she'd like ring me, shout, oh, how are you enjoying that book? I'm like, yeah, amazing. I finished it. She's like, what a waste of money that was. I'm like, what do you mean as a waste of money? <laughs> she was like, you should make those last at least a week. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, no, that is a great series, that. And it just, you know, it got me to read it. And like I say, you know, I've, I've gone on to do a, an English degree, become an English teacher. None of that would have happened if it wasn't for, you know, firstly, my grandma taking me there and buying the books. But secondly, those two series and both of them are fantasy. Um, and, you know, both of them, I think that's why I've probably got such an affinity with that genre and, and such love for it as well. Because, you know, I think for me, reading is such a good coping mechanism. If I'm stressed, worried, upset, to get lost in a fantasy world, you know, it's so different to ours, so you don't, your problems literally can melt away because it was so important for me. Yeah. And I think I have a touch, I don't, I won't call it, I don't know, but I always have a sleeping problem per se, but if, if I don't read a book, it takes me about two hours to fall asleep. Yeah. Really? It's always been that way since I've been a kid. You know, we talked about how I used to watch Daddy Daycare. That was the way yeah. I tried to get to sleep, was watching a film to fall asleep to. And if I'd watched it a lot, it made me feel comfortable, I guess. You know, because I already knew all the, the lines and what was going to happen next. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've always had an active mind as a kid, like too active. Um, I'm a bit of a, yeah, and I can't stop thinking about things and, and books help tie my brain out and help me go to sleep. So if anyone listening who isn't a reader, but has similar problems with me where it takes them hours to get to sleep, I really recommend reading because your screen actually wakes your brain up, doesn't it? Because that blue screen behind it, whereas uh, books, you know, do the opposite, they tie your brain out. Yeah. See, I listen to um, like radio shows and stuff like that. That helps me get to sleep. Yeah, that's that's a different topic. <laughs> um, yeah. So you, bold choice with two. Yeah, but like I say, I think because they're just attached to, to your memories. Yeah, to my memories, and yeah, that's why I've sort of not talked about them too much because it's not necessarily. I think they're the best books ever written. Although I think the Northern Lights two sequels, Sort of Knife and I'm a Spyglass, are amazing, um, and I hold that up as as a good book for any. Well, you teach that in school, don't you? Yeah. Uh, I, Annoyingly, Northern Lights is by far the worst in the series as well. It gets so much more interesting really? than too, yeah. Um I, I seem to I feel like I've read somewhere that Philip Pullman wrote it as a standalone. Okay. Um and then And then it became so big. Yeah, I, I, yeah, for whatever reason, whether the, the his editor said this is gonna be big, right you know, plan more or whatever. But I feel like you can tell that that you know, it feels like although he ha- obviously had ideas, yeah, you know, it left him a bit of a cliffhanger. So I you know, I don't I you know, but I don't know, the, the world just opens up and the story opens up so much in the second and third. Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely, yeah, I, I wouldn't be... You know, well, literally, we wouldn't be doing this podcast if it wasn't for that, because your wife's an English teacher I met teaching. Um, so if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be an English teacher. I wouldn't have met your wife, I wouldn't have met you, and therefore we wouldn't be doing this podcast. So I think that's quite an apt number one in that way, then. I think that's a good number one and really dicks on my one. <laughs> that choice. Maybe I should have chose Goosebumps and um, Horrible Histories. Why did this have a similar impact on you and your 
Oh, those were the two that I definitely read. But I do remember, this is how different my... You know, like, you always have, like, a reading 10 minutes mm. in secondary school where you had to read a book. Every, like, loads of people would be reading the Northern Lights books and stuff like that and the Golden Compass, those sort of styles of books. And I remember reading Barry Trotter and the Shameless Parody. <laughs> of course you were, you little edgy, <laughs> little <laughs> satirical, sarcastic little 12-year-old Mike of that. <laughs> I know, right. Anyway, so, yeah, good choice, good choice. That you were, um, oh, I had a joke who just left me. Right, we'll 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 let it linger on the, the side, beauty of silence and dead. We can... the, de- the dead air. No, we're going to keep this dead air. I normally edit out any dead air. But this one, we're, we're going to keep it. Oh, that's fine as long as you keep your burp when you said number three. <laughs> yep, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Sally's. So Sally's number one choice. Not a book I've read, but I started listening to the audio book. Um, on a night shift once, but it was quite heavy in terms of it's all over the place in terms of its um, narrative, mm-hmm. but it's part of the style of the book. So I got a bit confused in the middle of the night. Uh, but I've definitely watched the film version of it, which I know is nothing like the book, but I've definitely watched the film. And it's It by Stephen King. Nice. Regarded as one of the worst or weirdest endings ever as well, isn't it? Is it? I don't know why it's got one of the weirdest endings. Oh, or I, worst I'll tell endings. you after you finish talking about it, it's messed up. So, right, let's see what... Oh, messed messed up, not as in bad. No, like messed up, like creepy weird. Okay. Right, so Sally says about it. I've read read this book so many times in capital letters. She likes using so to to illustrate things. Also, fair play, Sally, because this is a hefty book to reread. Oh, yeah, it's... How many pages? 1,138 pages. And that's dense writing as well, is it? It's that small, packed in. Yeah. And he gives a lot of detail, doesn't he, in Stephen King? Because I think this ties in as well to other sort of the um, Dark Tower trilogies, not trilogies, well, ev- um, series Every like single that. book he's ever written ties into the Dark, the Dark Tower trilogy. Well, not trilogy, Does series, it? yeah. Every yeah. single... I'm glad, I'm glad I got you on that. Yeah, go on, sorry. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Anyway, um, I've read this book so many times, I just love it. The character development and storytelling, the sense of dread he creates every time you know Pennywise is around, and one of the only books who actually scare me. I also love the switching between different time periods and the history of Pennywise and how it links the story together. Very cleverly written. Nice. Yeah, so that's what confused me because it does like, it starts off like, for example, in 1957 and then moves on in the next chapter to 1984 and then goes back and it's very well written, but in the middle of the night, it wasn't very easy to focus on when you're trying to cross match a load of blood or something. Well, have you seen both films? I haven't seen the second one yet. Right, so it's really funny. The second film, um, one of the lads, uh, who then is played by James McAvoy, mm-hmm. he Bill. becomes a, a film, a scriptwriter. Or, or I can't remember, he becomes an author and his No, I think he becomes an author and his book gets turned into a film. And essentially, uh, in the film, his book's really well praised by critics and it's you know popular, but everyone says the ending was was odd and not very good and then as he so as now he's doing this film he's desperately trying to rewrite the ending because they're like come on we need to film these final scenes have you rewritten it yet and then again another part he goes into um a bookshop uh, not bookshop in a second-hand store and uh, stephen king's behind the counter playing you know just the shop owner and again he mentioned something yeah. like you know i loved your book i just didn't i want a fan of your ending and it's so funny because they changed the ending from the book well or a part of the book's ending of you know the, the when they were kids to yeah. they changed that ending to um, what they had in the film. So okay, what well, in the so first you know film? The film when they go down the the well in that house, or whatever, and they go into Pennywise's world and they've got to escape. 
Yeah. The way they get out of it in the film is this sort of cathartic, we're going to face our fears and beat it up, right? Yes. That's not how it happens in the book. I do I do know what happens in the book. Yeah, they all start shagging the girl because apparently that makes them adults and he only hurts children. How weird yeah. is that? Yeah, it's quite... Uh... Not one that really translates well to the movie. I just think, like, you know, when editor was reading this going, yeah, this is great, yeah. No. Oh, what? No! Oh, God, Stephen Starb! <laughs> like, <laughs> I want Sally to, to text you and be like, or you text her and ask her, what did she think of that? Like, when she, she loves the book and I've, you know, I know a lot of people do, but does she is she glad they changed that in the film or does she think it fit, you know, fit the tone? Because I've never read it personally. Um, Stephen no. King, I know it's held up as one of the great writers, but yeah, I want to hear what she thinks. There you go, Sally. Text me in when you listen to this on Sunday, because I assume you're going to listen on the debut, unless you're working. Actually, I'll let you off if you're working. What, what does she work? She's a nurse. Oh, that's, okay, yeah, she can't have a red face <laughs> listening to a podcast. But... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll let her off <laughs> on that one. All right, so yeah, good choice, Sally. And it's, yeah, strong book. One that, like I said, it's always been one that I've wanted to listen to or mm. read, should I say? Not listen to. It's only because I started listening to the audiobook. Um, it's one that I've always wanted to read. It's just very heavy, yeah. isn't it? But there we go. Right, finally, The Moment of Truth, my number one choice. It's the only book series I've read since Re- Re- Ready Player One, and I bet you know exactly what it is. Yeah. It's Mythos by Stephen Fry. Nice. Um, so... What this is, it's Stephen Fry has researched into all the sort of Greek um, myths and stories, um, and he's retold them in this book. And it's quite condensed compared to what the actual stories are. But he sort of put his style and humour onto it, like giving little footnotes behind the scenes saying, actually, some people um, call him this, it doesn't really matter, it's the same person... Um, and it's just a really interesting, funny retelling of all of the stories. And he's gone on to um, do the trilogy. So first one was Mythos, which focused on the gods. Yeah. Um, next one, um, Heroes, which focuses on Greeks' heroes. And then the final one is Troy, which concerns the Trojan you War. You got me two of them and it's for just, Christmas. I did, I did, yes. Because someone, if you remember, got me the middle one. I thought, well, I'll just get you the final <laughs> one then. And so I gave him, I re-gifted him. But yeah, I don't know if you've actually read any of them yet. I don't think you have, have you? No, they're, they're, well, I'll tell you what happened. Which one did you give me? They gave me Troy, obviously. What was the other one? Uh, Heroes, and you had Mythos. Didn't no, you? I didn't have Mythos. Oh, I thought no, you did. I had Heroes. Ah, oh, so I've given you. So you got Heroes twice yeah, now. Well, then I've given a. I've, I kept your copy because mine was the second hand one that wasn't great, Nick. Uh, so I've got to that one, kept yours. So I have then bought Mythos. So I How have got all three now. Yeah, it's just on my TBR list. So what's nice about this, I read this on my honeymoon in Cyprus, um, and obviously with the Greek myths and some of it occurs near Cyprus, especially like the um, birth of Aphrodite, who is born from the um, seminal fluid and foam of uh, Kronos. Basically, not Kronos, sorry, uh, Uranus. (laughs) Uranus's um, penis is severed off by his son Kronos and flung into the sea and the sea foams up, and outboard is born Aphrodite in the um, seashell she's most famous for appearing in. <laughs> but yeah, it's just his way of telling the stories. It's quite funny. Um, and some of the stories, like, you could literally just read one one story in, say you just sat down for 30 seconds, you could read one of the stories and you'll be done, because they're sort of put into little chapters. As it goes on, like, if you read Heroes, the first story is about um, Heracles, so you could read about each of his different, um, what's the words? 
his tasks. I can't, don't think that's the right word for it, but each of his tasks that he performs. I think they are just called tasks, um, aren't they? In the- yeah, the twelve tasks of Hercules. No, it's not tasks. I'm sure it's not tasks. Oh, God, don't. No, no, let's not Google this because it will come to me. I said it. The twelve. Stop obstacles. You have to Google it. <laughs> this is really annoying. Trials? This no. Maybe it is tasks. Uh, labors. Yes, the twelve labors of Hercules. God, I hate um, <laughs> Do you know I what? The twelve tasks of Asterix. I'm so stressed about that that li- honestly, my Apple Watch just came up and said, "Breathe." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a really good series and highly recommend it. It's just a quick easy well I wouldn't say it's a quick easy read there's a lot there and a lot to remember and it's quite heavy on remembering all the people's names but he does say very early on it doesn't matter whether you forget this person because when they come up again like books later I'll remind you about who they are and it'll give you sort of a bit of a reminder about what they did and who they are um, but yeah highly recommend it it's a great uh, book and also audio book because I've read the book but I've also listened to the audio book as well I think it's what I like about it because I've, I've read some of it I've not read all of it but um, I have the audio book as well I started listening to it but it's one of those I was like I, I'm, I, don't, I don't know if anyone else is like this I can only listen to an audio book I've read before if really? I try and listen to one I've never read before I th- honestly like you know I said like my mind's overactive I think partly as well I'm like yeah. a child so then like I'll be like, without <laughs> listening, and I realise I'll be staring like a bird for like sixty seconds outside my window and go, missed all of that. <laughs> wow. Whereas I can focus more when I've read it. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's I feel less pressure that I'm going to miss something. If you know what I mean. I don't know. Possibly. But, yeah, but but I like the way that you know it is weird. The Greek myths, isn't it? Oh and, God, yeah, they're and odd. To have his sort of you know humor and voice, it's it, you know to me like the thing I'll say, it sounds like Stephen Fry when you're reading it. You can hear his voice in yes. your head, can't you? Um, even just from the blurb, you, you know, you like you can hear Stephen Fry talking in your head as you're reading it, even without the audio book. It, it's very much in his tone and his voice. Yeah, it's also interesting that um, a lot of the stories wouldn't have happened if um, Zeus just kept his dick in his pants. Isn't that just the story of history, though? <laughs> it's literally... Yeah, Some probably. Some arsehole just not been. He literally just keeps on fucking, and then more and more stories happen. That doesn't he, at one point, hide himself as, like, a fucking bird so he can try and fuck more people? Yeah, that, I'm not sure if it's a bird, but, yeah, it's some sort of animal. And, yeah, he does. So he can, like, sneak away so his wife don't find out. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's interesting and highly recommend the book. Also linked to it as well, I, I absolutely love Greek mythology from watching Xena and Hercules. I just found recently, the guy who played Hercules is like a weirdo. It really yeah, disappoints he, me. But I preferred... He's joined the club of, um, what's her name? I can't think. Ignore me. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mandalorian girl. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Very, very extreme views. Well, I would prefer Xena to fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Right, so that's our top five books. I don't think there's going to be much filler at the end here because we've actually talked for a hell of a long time. I guess just a little bit of filler. Like, where, where do you have you read a um, ebook before? Where do you stand on them? Um, I prefer. I enjoy having the actual physical copies of books. I do. Even though I'm not a big reader, I like to have books on the bookcase. I think mm. it looks really it makes me look intellectual. I like. I prefer. I don't know, I mix it up. I go through a stage where I read ebooks and like how easy they are, how I can get some on cheap deals, and it's nice to hold something so lightweight compared to some of the heavier books I hold. But then, then I'll be like, oh, I'm missing a physical book and go back. So I, I switch between them quite a lot. That's fair. Um, and I guess last but not least, has anyone replied to any of our competitions yet? No. I don't feel ready to give up on it. 
it will take one person. You want to, to continue? Yeah. So whose go is it this time? It's mine, and I haven't thought of anything for you on the spot. I know. Um, trying to think something along the themes of today. No, see, I feel the pressure now. Can't think of anything. Do you want to add this in? That be... <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> I tell you what, let's keep it nice and simple. Yeah. All I want you to do is cook a nice three-course meal for me and Lauren when all this is over. If. Oh yeah, if people guess. What month I'm born my... in? Oh no, that's too easy. There's only twelve options. Well, and also I've already revealed what month I'm born in. I said me, not you. Oh well, yeah, that's fair. If people guess my exact weight in kilograms. <laughs> Which I don't know at the top of my head now, but I will weigh myself after this to find out. <laughs> okay, and that'll be the one you go for. So as of right now... Yeah, I am prepared to be offended. <laughs> well, give us a bit of context. Have you been eating well or not well since you've had a child? Been eating quite well, oh, there actually. You go. Okay, there you go. See, I've helped you out there, people. Yeah, but there we go. So Mike has to cook me and my wife a lovely three-course Again, meal. Again, I've already done that once. Uh, yeah, you did, didn't you? I made fresh bread. And soup from scratch. I was well impressed with myself. I'm trying to think, was that the one in which? That was just the start. I can't remember what the main course was. Is that chicken wrapped in bacon stuff with mozzarella? That might have been it. I don't think I've ever cooked you. No, I must have cooked you guys a meal. I, don't... I think you I... and I cook a lot. Yeah, I don't know. Probably, but then Lauren. Problem is, Lauren comes and does a dessert, so you feel like she did it. Then you're the last person who made it. <laughs> is the one you remember, isn't it? Although. I made some banging um, chorizo and manchego scones yesterday. You love a good scone, you do. I love scones. I'm, I'm good. I'm going to blow my own horn here. I am good at making scones. Also, I'm super surprised you call them scones and not scones. Why? Actually, I just thought you'd be a scone man. See, I think I changed because I told Lauren I was going to make a um, scone business and sort start selling my scones, mm-hmm. and the business was going to be called Now You See Them, Now They're dot dot dot, and for that to work, it'd be yeah. scone. But I've obviously just called it a scone. So I think I'd change. I'm trying to think of how to make a pun for scone now for you. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> so we've had two dead air moments because you're trying to think of a pun yeah. that's just failed yeah. you. I peaked with my lemons one and that's it. I'll never... I'll never... When life gives you lemons. <laughs> it's so shit. I love it so much. <laughs> right. As always, <laughs> um, follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, just search for Mammon Podcast. Also, with that and... as well, particularly if they're still listening, shout out to Matt, Dan, and Paul who follow us on Twitter. You are the OGs of our Twitter followers. And if we ever get big, <laughs> I will reward you with something. Mike's so happy he's finally got followers on. I am, genuinely. <laughs> actually buzzing. <laughs> but yeah, and also um, email us your top five choices, top five books, top five ideas for other podcasts at mammonpodcast at hotmail.com and we was going to say as well um what our next topic was going to be wasn't we so let's stop yes, a that is an in our head. isn't it mm. well next week is going to be our top five disney shows but we are filming that this episode back to back so we don't want to hear well we want to hear your top five disney shows but in terms of a topic that we want to hear people and discuss it's going to be what mike what what we're going to be talking about? Yeah. Should we go for top? We did actually have a plan. Yeah, I, I don't know account. where it is though. It's on. Hold on, I'm getting it up now. <laughs> Hello. Not safe. Oi. Ua. Lots, 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 lots. Right. So I'm just getting our episode list up now. So we have actually messed up. 
we were going to do next week as fictional families. Oh, yeah, that because is it was the Mother's Day. Because yeah. it's Mother's Stock Day. <laughs> and that works in lots so, of different ways. We'll maybe push fictional families at some point. Um, but we want to hear your top what five. songs? I feel like we need to hit into music. You want to get into music? Should we do our top five yeah, songs? Or, or, or do we do songs or band slash artists? I think band slash artists because songs will be, you know, that'll be hard enough to narrow down. And it'll be, it'll be discussed within the band slash artist. Yeah. Do we want to do it as a whole band slash artist or do we want to do band separately from artists? Because uh... I've actually got a top five for both. Okay, I'll do, let's do artists first, uh, bands first. I agree, let's do bands. Cool, cool. So email us in your top five bands and we'll have a look and we'll discuss one of your choices on air. So give a little description as to why you like that band, maybe some of the songs that you like from them as well. And we will discuss them. And give you shout So that's mammonpodcast at hotmail.com. Or my OGs on Twitter. I'll put out a tweet later to, uh, on Sunday um, about our topic and you can uh, let me know on that. <laughs> right. Thanks for listening and we will see you next week. See you, everyone. Bye. Bye.